0: You're listening to Cleveland First Baptist Church's weekly sermon audio from Lead Pastor Rick Dill. For more information, please visit ClevelandFirstBaptistChurch.com.
1: this rock is Jesus the only Yes.
0: good morning. Good morning. <laughs> yeah. It's um, an odd kind of feeling that we have this week and um, I don't hesitate to say that it's been uh, disturbing. We have had this week friends from very dear friends from Germany who came in on Monday night and have been with us all week and it was a little scary on wednesday night and we hear all the flights to europe had been canceled for a month i went a month oh no <laughs> that's what they were saying too but uh luckily that's not quite how it ended up being when we got the correct information but um as i have announced i had prepared for us to begin a series from the letter to the ephesians and we are going to do that starting next week but on Thursday night, uh, I was most of the night. Uh, I can't say, I do believe that it was God's hand, you know, I, just not what I needed to preach on. And instead, he gave me a different text from Jeremiah, one that we know. Um, because we are in a time, regardless of how you feel about it, what is being done and said about the crisis that is spreading up around the globe. Um, you know, if it's nonsense, then that's great. I hope it is. In two weeks, we can laugh at ourselves and say, how ridiculous. But it doesn't look that way. And I'm glad that we are doing what we can do and should do in thinking about that and praying for those who are suffering. Um, I have to tell you something funny, though, first. Can I tell something funny? We need a little a little lightning today, I think, especially since it's pra- practically pitch black outside. Um, when Chris shared that he just got a little uh, a cold chill, ran down his spine, reminded me of one of the funniest things I've ever heard. We were in Salzburg, Austria, at a conference, about 400 people, most of them English-speaking, our first year, and a lady... Um, had sung an absolutely wonderful, inspiring song. The song, unfortunately, I did not remember, but the Austrian pastor who spoke fairly well, who spoke English fairly well, came after her to give a kind of greeting, and he was touched. And he was speaking English because most of the people were English there, and he said, That song, with tears in his eyes, when I hear that song, it makes cold chills go up my rear. (laughs) And we were, it was just a gasp. You heard a gasp in the room and then some chuckles, but people were having to subdue that. (laughs) So, you know, language is a funny thing. We've just been... four days, non-stop German, we're kind of exhausted. So if I just break into German in the middle, you just know I don't even know it. It just happened. All right, we're going to look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, uh, verses 10 through 14. Let me give you a little historical setting first, though. Uh, You know, the people of God had received prophecies for a long time to either turn from their ways or uh, they would be taken into exile. That had happened. The king and his family and court and many of the educated and skilled citizens of Israel had been taken into Babylon by the Babylonians after the defeat of Jerusalem, and they had been scattered across the land. No longer could they seek God in his temple. It had been destroyed, the walls of Jerusalem torn down, Uh, No longer did they have access to the priests who had guided them, unfortunately, in a bad way, or anything related to the Lord or his his house. Their hopes for any speedy return had dimmed, and it seemed that God was absent. Back in their home with the remnant uh, still in Jerusalem, there was the prophet Jeremiah. He himself would later be... Taken off to Egypt, where he lived the rest of his life and died without ever having uh, never having the chance to come home and Jeremiah writes a letter to give direction and hope in an amazingly scary and critical and quite hopeless situation so we want to read these few verses a part of this letter uh, and seek from it hope and direction for ourselves in verse ten We read, this is what the Lord says. So Jeremiah is relaying to the people who are in Babylon, God's word for them. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you. And I will bring you home again to your own land. Wow. What a text. What a promise. There's a lot that we could gain from that text. The first thing that occurred to me as I read it again is the fact that God is the Lord of time. He is the Lord of time. Uh, He says, you will be in Babylon for 70 years. You know, the Jews had hoped for a quick solution and they had expected God to intervene in some way so that they would quickly return home. But God sends a very different message. He says, this is going to take a while. In fact, you will be in Babylon for 70 years. um, We had to get a new roof, and the guy selling us the roof, he said, well, there are two options. You could get the cheaper shingles that have only a 20-year guarantee, but what we recommend are the more expensive ones that have a 50-year guarantee. I said, "Fella, look at me. I said, how old do you think I am? I said, I am almost 70 years old. I'm not going to pay more for something that I can't cash in on until I've been dead 30 years, you know? Um, God says you'll be in Babylon for 70 years. What did that say to those people? Well, it said for one, you're, you will not be going home. Your children, your grandchildren, God will return them. But you got to hunker down because this is where you'll be. But it also says God knows and, and God is the Lord of time. He is the Lord of time. You know, this week has been quite surreal. It is without a doubt one of the strangest things that we've ever been confronted with. One of the things that makes it difficult is the uncertainty. Just the plain uncertainty. How long before things get back to normal... How bad will it end up being? Will it damage our lives in some way? How many will be affected? How will it be able? How will we be affected as a church family if we can't even gather in the way we are accustomed to? No doubt, the Jews in Babylon were faced with many of the very same questions. And they didn't get the answer they wanted from God. He said, settle in. Because you're going to be here 70 years. Huh. That's a lifetime. That is my lifetime. Crazy. But we need to remember that underlying God's answer is a very important fact. God is the Lord of time. In fact, for him, there is no time, no yesterday and no tomorrow. God is. When Moses asked him what his name is, what did he say? I am. I am present. He is the God who describes himself in that way. So time has absolutely no significance in the way he fulfills his plans. Now, we live, of course, in a, an absolutely time-dominated world. What do they say? Time is money, or it's just a matter of time, or time, time, time. Don't you hate to be without your watch or now your phone so you can look every 30 seconds and see what time it is? Let us remember, as children of God, we are eternal. The clock does not stop for the people of God. Time is not in control of your life if you belong to Jesus. God is. If you listen to the specialists, you know, you hear different theories. Some think it's a hoax. Maybe in a week it'll all be gone, back to normal. Some talk about a month or so. Others warn of some sort of disruption that may last a year or more. Just remember that time does not hinder God in any way. God doesn't own a watch. So we can know as his children that we are secure regardless of how long it takes. God is going to fulfill his promises to you and to this church and to his people. And this is what he tells his people. God will fulfill his promises and take you home. Verse 10 says the last part of that. It says, then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again. So God has good things planned for his people. That does not mean, however, that we avoid suffering and sickness or even death. But just remember, God has defeated death. So even the most extreme thing that could happen to us has a very different meaning for us than it does for the world. Why? Because we have a destination that goes beyond time and beyond death. We have an eternal God who gives us eternal life. Because God promises, I'm going to bring you home. You know, if the pandemic does nothing else for us, it should remind us that this is not our home. This is not our home. God has, in fact, a very different plan for His people. Amen. Amen. You know the Israelites. Um, I can't quite imagine what that would have been like to have been rounded up and taken off for to a foreign country where you knew nothing and nobody, you didn't speak the language or know the culture, and you are taken out of everything you know and you're told you're going to be there for 70 years, how difficult would that be? But God's concern is that they understand clearly this is not your home. You may be here 70 years, but it's not your home. And I'm going to take you home. And so we are reminded over and over in the New Testament that we are actually foreigners in a land to which we do not belong. And we need to not forget that. This is not our home. God has a different plan for you. And that's what we see in verse 11. He says, I have a plan for you. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Wow. So God's people first hear that it's going to be 70 years. In fact, that is bad, don't you think? But God then reminds them that in spite of it not being the answer they wanted, He has not forgotten them. He has a plan. God is up to something. And out of all of that, he says, good will come. His plan was Jesus. That was his plan. That's why he had called people to start with, to be his special possession. God had a plan, and it was a plan that would be good for his people. And it would be good for you and for me. He would send a Savior who would redeem us, free us from sin and the great enemy death. You know, one of the most difficult things about what we've experienced over the past week is that at first, there didn't seem to be a plan. I felt real relief somehow when A plan began to materialize. Let's not forget, more important than our plan, our government's plan, or any other plan, is what God has planned. We might have been caught off guard, but you know what? God was not surprised by the coronavirus. And God's plan for us, for his people, for you personally, It's a good plan. Jeremiah describes it really with two simple words. He says, you have a future. You have a future. Why would he say that? Well, I think probably a lot of the Jews, what were they thinking? They're thinking, well, just go jump off a bridge. You know, there's nothing left. What do we have? We have nothing. And God says, oh, no, no. You have a future. You know, um, I heard one of the uh, interviews that was being asked some epidemiologist, however you say that, um, was being interviewed and. So they were asking, so, you know, how bad is it really? And, you know, so he says, well, you know, it's bad. And, but then he says, but, but you know, it's, it's not like something that is going to end Western culture. <laughs> you know, uh, it isn't like we don't have a future. Okay, That's a good word. That's a good word. And, of course, for us... Even if he said, oh, it's all over. It is not over for you if you belong to Christ. Because you have a future that goes beyond the grave. And he says, you have hope. Since God has a plan, you have a future and you have hope. You know, the Hebrew word for hope does not mean what... Our word, hope, is generally the way it's generally used. You know, we think of, well, I hope it stops raining. You know, it doesn't look like it will. But um, I do hope it stops raining because I'm kind of sick of it. But, um, you know, I have no influence over that. And that's just kind of wishful thinking. That's how we use the word hope generally. But the Hebrew thought behind hope was something totally, totally different. To say that we have hope, it meant that we have assurance of something that we cannot see or guarantee. But even though I can't see it yet and I can't guarantee it, I am sure that it's real. And you know, that's how we're supposed to feel about our relationship to God. And about the future that God has given us. We can't see it, but we know that what Jesus said and what he promised will come true. And you know, that makes life worthwhile. Without hope, what is the point? What is the point? One thing I have to remind you of though, is that God's plan, although it's a good plan for you and for me and for God's people, sometimes God's plan includes a cross. It included a cross for Him. And Sometimes the ways that God leads us Are not exactly the ways that we want. Did Jesus want the cross? Actually, he prayed, Lord, if there is another way, let that come. But God did not change that. You know, if we are called by God to be his people, And God leads us through a deep valley that includes a cross. What we need to do is put our abiding trust in him and hold on to him because he will not let us fall. And he did not let his son fall either. And we ought not forget it. And one of the things I really love about the Scripture is that although God and the Word gives us all of these spiritual deep insights and so forth, but it is incredibly practical. (laughs) Um, He doesn't just give us spiritual whatever. He gives us practical instruction. And he's done that through Jeremiah as well. He says that you're going to be there 70 years. Not what you wanted, but you know, that's what it's going to be. It's not going to be forever because God is going to bring your children and your grandchildren home. But you know what? In that time, you need to do two things. He said you need to pray. You need to pray. In those days... When you pray, I will listen. Now, uh, this is also a prophetic word. We need to not forget that. He's talking about the time after the Messiah comes. We pray and God listens. But I believe he's also giving a word to his people in distress at that time. And he says, when you pray, I listen. Now, it's an interesting thing. That God simply assumes that his people will pray. Why is that? I mean, they'd not been very faithful in prayer in the past, had they? Why now? Because God knows us. And he knows that we may never pray, but when we get in a tight, we cry out to him, do we not? Not really the way it's supposed to be. But you know what? God loves his people. And he says, pray. When you're in a tight, pray. And then he says, if you pray, I'm going to listen. He didn't say necessarily that he'll do exactly what we want. But he said, I will not turn a deaf ear to your prayer. You know, Jesus told us that whatever we ask, In his name, the Father will grant, right? Now, if you don't hear anything else I say today, would you please not forget this word? Sometimes that text is misused, as though God were the heavenly Santa Claus, and if I belong to Jesus, anything I want, I get. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, anything you ask, what? In my name. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean that we end every prayer with, in Jesus' name, amen, and then we get what we want. That's kind of how we do it. It means that everything we ask for that is in the sense of what Jesus would have wanted he will act. So when our attitudes and our desires are aligned with the attitude and the desire of the Son of God, then our prayers have great power. It is to ask in the wisdom of Christ to think and speak in the, act, in the way that Jesus would. We need to desire, not that everything go back to normal, but that everything be according to the will of the Son of God. And God says, I will listen. I will listen. Secondly, we need to look to Jesus. Jeremiah writes, If you look for me wholeheartedly, God is speaking, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I'll be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. If you look for me wholeheartedly, So that means active. That means that it occupies my thoughts and my time, this search for God and for his will. Um, It is something that moves me to action. And he says wholeheartedly. So the heart is the seat of the attitude, right? So... We seek God and His will from the heart. We genuinely desire to be what He calls us to be. You know, God recognized the danger of change. And His people were in the greatest change they had ever experienced. They're not even at home. I mean, the culture is different. Everything has changed. Everything was now different. it was so important since His people would be separated from everything they had known. From the temple, from their leaders, from everything. That they look where? To Him. That they look to Him. Jesus expressed a similar thought for the church. He says, I'm leaving. I'm going back to the Father. But you are staying in the world. but, But don't forget, you're not of the world. But you are in the world. And he said, you've got to remain connected to me. And then he gives us that picture of the vine and the branches. He says, a branch separated from the vine, it can do nothing. We can do nothing separated from him. But if we are attached to the vine, we have everything we need. So, in a time that seems so uncertain, you know what really counts? It's being attached to Jesus.
1: Amen.
0: And if we are, we have a future, we have a hope, and we have the promise of God to see us through. Amen. Amen. Now, God always calls His people to pray, and we're going to do something today. We, we, I knew we'd be sort of under us, you know, just us today. And I've asked Chris to, we want to just put the microphones in the in the aisles here, and I want us to have a time of prayer. But you know, if I can't hear what the person is saying. It doesn't edify me at all. It doesn't help me at all. So we're going to have a time of prayer. And I hope that many of you will take part in asking for God's guidance. You know, we don't really know. I mean, truthfully, there is never a Sunday that we know, that we meet, that we know what Monday brings, do we? Ever had a bad Monday? Had a bad Monday. Did I know that on Sunday? No, I didn't. I didn't know about the wreck. I didn't know about whatever was coming. It's just that in a situation like we find ourselves right now we are especially aware of the uncertainty. Actually it's uncertain all the time. We don't have any guarantee that we'll be here tomorrow. But God says when we face a critical time, he said his people pray. And we need to pray. So I'm going to ask you just, you know, and what if two people prayed at the same time? Oh, how disastrous. You know, God can take it, guys. So I know that we're not accustomed to that, unfortunately, but the early church, they prayed for hours, just one after another, coming before the Father. So I want us to have a time that, that we do that. And the reason for the microphone It's because you help each other when we hear those prayers as we call to God. Now, I'd like for you to be aware of a a few things specifically. We need to pray for people around the world who are suffering because of illness created by this virus. We need to ask God to have mercy on them. Um, it's much worse now in Europe than here, and it was quite distressing to hear our friends call and talk to their children and hear what is going on there. Does it doesn't touch us because it hasn't gotten there yet here but let's let 's just bring those who are suffering before God. We need to pray for our church and other churches. Might be that for a couple of weeks we can't meet like we normally do. You know what? This is not the church. You are the church. So let's ask God for wisdom and guidance. And you know, God is a master at bringing good out of pain. Bringing life out of death. Could we ask Him to use whatever ends up happening to strengthen His church and His kingdom? Most especially, let's pray for our own family who are especially in danger because of age and other illness. Let's just ask God to put a hedge of protection around them. And let's ask God to help us look to Him. And not look just to our own desires and worries, but to want what He wants. Okay? So, I'm going to begin. and If you would just go to a microphone one after another and pray if two... You know, you can just stop and let the other person finish. You bump into each other there. That's okay. All right? I'd ask you not to hesitate. Just go to the mic. All right? Father, we have such a, such a great privilege of prayer that you've torn the curtain and said, come to me when you're hurting When you're afraid, when you're in danger. What a privilege. So, we just thank you that we can do that. And we ask you, Father, to hear our prayers, please. Amen.